Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Square Ball Podcast. Welcome to the show. Dan here along with Michael and a very special guest today who has propped a book. If you're on the video version, you can see the book Animal House, James Brown, former editor of Leeds, Leeds, Leeds magazine. You also did something slightly lesser, I think, something less successful, <laughs> called Loaded. Um, football, music, fanzines, all the stuff that's that's in the book. I should say about the book, do you want to hold it up for the for the camera? It's available now. Great Christmas present. Defo. Yeah. Yeah, you can get it fastest from Amazon. They'll get and fastest and cheapest. Or Audible, not a Christmas present, but Audible's been really successful. I, I listen to it on Audible. Yep. Yeah, it's it, it's gone down well. Is you reading it, chuckling away? Yeah, I mean, I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't stop myself laughing at some of the stupid stuff I've done. <laughs> but also, if anyone wants a special dedicated copy to give us a gift, I've just been selling loads through Twitter and Instagram, at James James Brown. It's a bit more expensive because I've got to buy the book and I've got to post it. But it's, um, I've, had, I've sold about four or 500 like that. Um, yeah, there is music in there. There's loads of Leeds United as well. And yeah. you did Leeds, Leeds, Leeds magazine. So we'll we'll start there if, that, if you yeah, want. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, great. Because you've spoken loads about Loaded. So yeah. let's, let's talk about Leeds. Um, and you you were the editor and creator of that. Yeah. And sort of <laughs> positioning the book on the table. And it kind of, it picked up, I guess, where the original version of the square ball, it was in that sort of territory, wasn't it? It was sort of a crossover between... Yeah, it was like a fanzine. Fanzine meets official club publication. That's exactly what it was. Because I remember reading it and thinking... This is fucking wild. I love this. This. How can my club speak in this tone of voice? You know, when I started it, I did ring the editor of the Square Ball up. I think it was called Gary. Gary Dobson, maybe. Ian Dobson, yeah. Ian Dobson, yeah, Ian. I said, look, I'm doing this magazine. Do you want to contribute? And he said, I don't think there's much call for a good club magazine. <laughs> so I remember clearly him saying that and thinking, because before him, some boys I'd known had been involved in it when it launched, like Mick McCann. And so I knew about the fanzine of or picking it up at Ellen Road or whatever. And I just thought it would be polite to do that just because we, cause we were going to do some irreverent stuff. Um, Leeds had had a magazine and it was really not that well funded and it was produced in Manchester and it just looked a bit flimsy. And I, I knew all of these professional journalists and designers who were Leeds fans and I thought they would absolutely kill a contribute to our magazine. So as I explain in the book, you know, I had to, I had to stop drinking and I suddenly had loads of time on my hands, like eight or nine hours a day when I would have been drinking. So I did what any sensible magazine editor does. I already had a job. I was editing GQ magazine. I just started basically the Leeds Club magazine in my spare time. <laughs> and um, it was a mixture of great access, really good. We had a good photographer, Justin Slee, and Justin's still around. He had, he had a really good book 
out a couple of years ago about this year about about Leeds and just loads of different writers, people from Empire Magazine, Kerrang, some of the men's magazines like Loaded and so on. And um, it, it just meant that, you know, that the kind of level of what, of what we were producing was really, I felt, on a par with any other media that was being created about Leeds. Probably better because the people asking the questions were used to asking famous musicians or famous film stars questions. So they weren't in awe of going and interviewing Gary Kelly and Ian Hart, they knew how to interview well and they knew how to write. So I think that mixed with the humour, we got fantastic access, really brilliant access to the players. Um, I went to see with Gary Speed and David Batty's agent, it was Hayden Evans who said, "Let's." I sped to Hayden and said, can you speak to the club? And we went in to see um, Jeremy Fenn and Chris Akers who were running Leeds then. They were the MD and the CEO. And um, Adam Pearson was there as well as the marketing guy. And they said, yeah, this sounds great. Because to them, they were PLC at the time. So anything that was perceived to add value. And, you know, we started off doing a couple of thousand. And by the time I finished looking after it, we were doing 25,000 copies. I got the company that distributed GQ to distribute it. So it was actually available in things like petrol stations and in, in around the region. And anybody who wanted to, to be able to get it could could get it you know we had a good subs we knew how to sell subs and uh it was brilliant fun it was really brilliant fun i mean to think you know it, it did take a while to realize i wasn't editing loaded you know we had <laughs> when 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 bremner died i got irvin welsh to um to write and a tribute to him obviously a fellow scotsman it was just full in a full of effing and blinding and it was just like the, the, the language in train spotting or the acid house and um that knocked a few parents back who'd been buying it for the kids <laughs> And I think there was another lady complained because we'd been the cartoon that the previous club maggot had. But largely it was just fantastically well received and it grew very, very quickly. And um, we were lucky in the way that George left because after the first issue, which had Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank on the cover, I genuinely didn't know who we were going to put on the second cover. And I think it might have been Lucas who emerged under George. You know, really those two were the, were the successful players of the George Graham era when I look back. But then when O'Leary came in and straight away he started playing Woodgate and McPhail and Kewell. Kewell, if you remember, was, was sort of vying for a place with Bruno Ribeiro. And also at that time, George really wanted to buy Alan Thompson, who did later play for the club years later. And if, if Alan Thompson had come, Kewell would never have established it, I don't think. He wouldn't have got the place. And so once that kind of generation, Alan Smith, obviously, and then when O'Leary started buying players... You know, they tend to look at the later years of, of, of the expenditure when people look back on that. But early on, you know, buying Michael Bridges was a, was a really good buy, bringing Batty back. So there were, you know, O'Leary's period was a great time to be doing a magazine. And then, of course, you know, that mixture of senior player like Batty and Decor mixing in with the young younger players, it was, it was so exciting from an editorial point of view because we were never short of things to do. But then also, if you remember... I mean, we used to do this thing in the club and these, these, these leads about young players coming through. So people like Matthew Jones, we would have had in. Um, and, uh, you know, just just younger players, Harpal Singh, boys who would, you know, would be in the, un, what would now be the under 23s, but the under 21s. And there, were, there was a lot of good young talent. Alan Mabry was another. You know, he played quite often for the first team. Um, so it was good, you know, and we had Dave Simpson up here doing a lot of the interviews who uh, obviously wrote, it's written a few Leeds books and, and, and articles and it was good. 
it was, it was I loved doing it. The Hasselbank cover was that the one with him looking kind of moody and yeah, black background. Yeah, and shirtless was he? Was he yeah, shirtless? topless? Yeah, I think. I think it's become some sort of weird formative memory for me as that cover because I think it was just unusual looking because it wasn't it wasn't very Leeds yeah, official because, magazine. Yeah, I was going to say because it's 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 replica kit, isn't it? Is official media? Yeah, that's what you see him head to toe in the replica kit. Yeah, but we also shot Alan Smith in some um, CP or Stone Island Parker. He looked great. The least hard-looking man in the world. Yeah, with his, yeah but he his, just looked, his blonde curtains. No, but it looked fashionable. And I think what we were trying to do was just get a, a slightly different energy to it to suggest that we were with the players. It wasn't just, um, you know, a similar product or similar title to the to the programme. So we had a great close-up of, of Lucas laughing, laughing. And then uh, one that did have replica kits on them, I think we did McPhail, Hart and Gary Kelly all together. That, that, had, that had the shirts, but... We, we wanted to, because they gave us good access. We wanted to try and just get into what life of a Leeds United footballer was really like. I mean, when we when we played Maritimo, I sat with the players going over. You know, I just went. We got on the plane. All we, they used to do. I don't know if they. Well, we're not in Europe anymore. But they, for instance, this week when they're going, they've gone over to Spain. I doubt that they would sell tickets on whatever plane they went on. <laughs> but there was there were Leeds fans on the same flight going to Maritimo in that UEFA Cup game. As as the players, and I just turned left and sat with Lee Sharp, who I kind of vaguely. They, some of them knew what I did, so some of them were were reading loaded and then reading GQ. So I sat with Lee Sharp, and Lee Boyer sat next to me, and uh, Lee Boyer had the short, spiky blonde hair, I had the big curly black hair, and no, no, Lee Boyer had a skin hair, I had a big curly black hair, and Lee Sharp had his blonde, spiky haircut, and um, Nigel Martin started whistling the hair bear bunch thing <laughs> <laughs> just behind, but. You know, like like as a, as a, as was apparent if you read the magazine, um, we had total freedom. So when Mark Waits, who ran an ad agency called Mother, suggested doing a the George Graham toilet sticker, you know, he shat on you. He shat on us once. We can shit on him forever. That's that's what ran in the mag. And Ridsdale came up to me at some game and he said, "I can't be seen to approve of that," but it was very funny. Well done. <laughs> and. Um, it was, you know, yeah, like George Graham definitely helped the magazine. And of he, course, he left, didn't he? He left around the time it launched. That was the, that was the. He was leaving thing, on yeah. that when we when the club went when we when we as fans and and the club and the team went to Maritimo because I can remember sitting with Hayden and, and Peter who had who had as everyone knew had the tendency to to do his business in a way that drew attention to him. He came over to me and he said, "Where's Hayden? I want to talk to him about appointing Gordon Strachan." Right. Just like, why are you telling me that? You know, it's just not impressing me. Yeah. You know, you just, you, you should be keeping your business to yourself. It's literally sitting on a rock by the sea. You know, you could have just, you could have just rang Gordon, I imagine. How much do you credit timing in the stuff that you've done? Because Loaded caught that upswing of sort of cool Britannia, the changing government, you know, mid 90s, all that stuff. You just, you were right at the, at the yeah. heart of that with Loaded. And then with Leeds, you've caught this upswing of the football team, this, you know, burst of youthful exuberance. It's, it's almost like the Leeds team kind of followed what was happening in the, in the wider country a couple of years later. Well, it's to a degree it's luck, but you know, the, the best definition of luck is when ambition meets opportunity. You know, if you're not, if you're not steaming into the, the penalty box at the back post, you, you're not going to get that, uh, you know, that, that chance to back, whack the ball into the back of the net. If you're just moseying around watching the, the winger head off and not backing <laughs> them up. So we, I think it was a mixture of, Having my antennae on in the early 90s, I was very aware that football had become 
a huge thing for people in the music industry where I was working on the NME. And um, Leeds obviously, you know, returned to the top division in, in you know, in the, in the early 90s. So there was, there was, it was easier to, to play a part in, in, in what, you know, be, to be a fan then. Um, and, and, you know, the, because Sky had launched, she could suddenly watch football on television. I remember I, I had Sky at the very beginning because somebody put it into this block of flats I lived in London. And I don't know why, but everybody in the building could get Sky. Nobody paid for it. Just one person had it. <laughs> and it came into all our television. I remember the, the first week watching it and they sold it on Homer Simpson, the f- no, sorry, Bart Simpson and football and movies. And um, there was a Sheffield United game. I can't remember who they were playing, but it was on like every day. So like, you know, Wednesday lunchtime, you could watch Sheffield United playing Norwich or whoever they were playing, or Oldham or somebody. Yeah, yeah. And um, so that, I was just very, very aware that that because of Sky, football became something that was a lot easier for people to access if they were unable to go to the games, you know. And, um, and just mixing the two together, football and music, that was the basic initial template of what Loaded was going to be about. And then with Leeds, I mean, I was it was just luck. But if I hadn't come up with the idea of doing Leeds, 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 we wouldn't have been around. You know, you've got to got to be in it to win it. You know? And I mean, to go back to the start, you got started in magazines just making your own music fanzine. Yeah, here in Leeds. What what is it that makes you start doing that at the age? Because you were you were still a teenager at the time, weren't you? Uh, just looming unemployment. <laughs> <laughs> just being aware that I was there was nothing I was going to be able to do. Um, and there not been many jobs, you know, and as, as we were coming, I would left Leeds, I left school in about 83, 84, and there was absolutely massive unemployment. And it sounds strange to say this now, but I didn't know anyone who left school who had a job. People were staying on in FE colleges or staying on in the sixth form or just going on the dole. I knew, I knew one guy who had a job because he'd, <laughs> he'd, he worked, he'd worked in his dad's greengrocers in Kirkstall, which is where I was living. And um, I'd pop in and see him, but I didn't, any any other mates that were leaving school weren't going into work. So, as I wrote as I write in the book, the experience with a careers officer when I said I wanted to be a music journalist because I was a big reader of things like Enemy and Smash It. They just said, "Have you thought about printing?" You know, which is like a reflection on how little opportunities there were, or, or how little belief they had in in kind of myself or or the generation that were leaving school, and um, so. I just I was on some march somewhere in near Menworth Hill, you know, against the US Air Force base. And, you know, there's a lot of fear around nuclear weapons then. A little bit like there was at the start, and maybe there still is around the, you know, the, the Ukraine-Russian war, the Russian invasion of the Ukraine. You know, there was a real genuine fear that he might ping over a nuclear weapon. Um, so I was on one of those C&D marches, and somebody just sold me this little magazine. It was from the 1 in 12 Club in Bradford. It was called Knee Deep in Shit. And I looked at that and then I saw a couple more in a bookshop near the university, a political bookshop. And I thought, maybe I could do one of these. And then me and my mate just started one. And that was it, you know. Do, so. do you think fanzines in a way back then, because they've changed a lot, and I guess we'll get, we can get into that. Do you think they were almost like a forerunner of social media? It was the way that you, you communicated information about bands that you loved or whatever yes. to, to like-minded people. Yeah, damn, totally. Absolutely. I mean... Nowadays, that's you know what's impressive about the square ball is that the high standard that you produce it. I sometimes forget that it's a fanzine, you know, because the quality of it, but also the speed at which people communicate with each other, the fact that you're still going and, and doing well, and you've built a business around it on 
lots of different platforms like this and your merchandise and everything, you, you've done the right thing because social media is the equivalent of a, of a fanzine. And, and, and before that, you know, blogging, you know, when we just used to have blogs and message boards. And um, I, I used to have a Leeds message board called One Mick Jones, which started out of just me and some mates talking about Leeds. And then it, it just built and built and loads of people who didn't support Leeds joined in. Um, so, yeah, I, I do. I think that's, I mean, the amazing thing now is in the old days, you had to meet somebody that you, that you shared a passion with for retail. You know, if you were into like music, you might bump into somebody at a gig or that you didn't know or at a record shop. You know, like mate, I would meet people in, in hanging around in Jumbo Records that would become mates, you know, whereas now you, you meet people through communication, through social media. It's very easy, you know, just whack a hashtag on whatever you're into and there'll be people queuing up to tell you you're right or wrong. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, it's a different world. Do you think forums probably were the thing that killed fanzines in their original form? Because we found that when, when we took this on, so we took this on in summer of 2009, mm-hmm. and it was about that time that the square ball was kind of lifting stuff just directly from web forums. And so it was old news. There was nothing new yeah. to read there. But I think that sort of flow of new stuff of information of articles of opinions it kind of dried up because that became the place where you just dumped it yeah all. I mean it's I, I don't know if forums still go but it is quite strange I mean um, what was the massive one Wacko Wacko still going yeah it was yeah. huge yeah. That had some, I remember talking to the guy who, who was um, who was running that and he said there was something like the 50th biggest fan community in the world of anything Magnum, you know uh, just anything Marvel films comics WWE, whatever, anything that I would have and, and that was like hugely impressive. And I thought that was, you know, you could go in there and, and find interesting stuff out. And um, I guess it was like Reddit for Leeds fans. Yeah. You know, and and, and I don't know if it's killed it because I don't know if it's still going. I mean, it is strange when you Google something, trying to find something and it takes you to an old forum. Yeah. And, and normally the chat has long since finished, you know, and kind of often frustratingly, the, the thing you want to know about isn't there. Somebody else just has asked the same question in the past. It's normally something like household DIY or something that I find myself doing mm. that. I land on a, an answer from somebody who's knows how to change this particular light bulb or where to get it, but it's from 2006. And I go, yeah, you, you, oh, fucking hell, 2006 was so long ago. <laughs> yeah, but you, you'd go to YouTube now, wouldn't you? Yeah. And get a very fastly spoken video. My kids were uh, were questioning how anyone could have learned anything before YouTube because I was trying to explain <laughs> it was about learning instruments. And I was saying people used to learn from like a, Books. a book yeah. or maybe a VHS or something. You could learn how to play. And they were like, "No, nah, I don't see it." Yeah, but we, we we have lived through a uh, through a, a, a digital revolution. You know, it'll be known as the digital age, like the Stone Age and the Iron Age. And it's you know, I think you know, I write about it in the book the first time anyone talks to me about the internet. It was that pop group Delight, and I honestly thought they were mental. Yeah. <laughs> They were saying that this was in when I was in Brazil with Happy Mondays for NRE and I, Delight were there as well. And they had that great dance track, Groovies in the Heart. So I interviewed them and they were talking about, he said, pretty soon you'll be able to send a message from a computer in New York to somebody sitting on a mountain in Africa. And I said, what, without wires? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, and I just, I honestly thought they would do, you know, Star Trek time, you know, they were just, and now, you know, the first time anyone ever mentioned to me, Somebody I knew was going on tour, um, Charlene from Texas. She was talking about her, her daughter's quite a similar age to my eldest son. And she was saying, oh, it's okay, I keep in touch on um, whatever the first, you know, video messaging was like FaceTime or something. Yeah, yeah. I said, how do you do that? Because, I mean, that even on Star Trek, they didn't have, they just used to like have those, fa- you know, those kind of 
basically early Nokia phones, you know, with a little thing that flipped out. So even like, I mean, this has been going on for ages. In the, in the 90s, I remember talking, and my wife then, who was about six years younger than me, I was talking about when I was first on the NME working on typewriters. She started laughing <laughs> because then, you know, in like 1994 or 1993, whenever it was, I, I was on the NME, 87 to 92. The, the office was full of half-broken typewriters from people throwing them on the floor or them just sticking or whatever. She thought it was hilarious because just that that four or five years of three years or whatever it was, years difference, when she'd been at school, when I was leaving school, she was starting school, they'd started teaching people how to use computers. But even though I had an Amstrad, you know, uh, at home, and the enemy office we used big, heavy old, chung, 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 ding, you know, and the, the carriage would go backwards and forwards and you'd, you'd get Tipex out and... So it's like a totally different era. What role do you think print plays in 2022? Well, it's it's like vinyl. It's got an authenticity to it that, that some people simply like reading information in magazines um, or books. Obviously, you know, books are printed. And I think a really good magazine or publication or fanzine or whatever, it's just got the same value as they ever have. It's got the ability to make the readers feel like they're part of a club or an environment that they want to be in. But I mean, I... I bought a magazine on Saturday in Leeds City Station, The Chap, just because I had a Michael Caine interview. But I'd seen extracts from the Michael Caine interview in Facebook by the author. And I got it and, you know, the rest of the magazine was just bizarre. You know, it was like people dressed like the 1950s, you know, like toffs in the 30s and the 40s and the 50s. I just felt like I wish I'd, to be honest, I just felt like I wish I'd just stuck with the bit I read on Facebook. (laughs) (laughs) Would there be a place for anything like Leeds, Leeds, Leeds now? Do you think it'd ever fly? Um, I don't know because so much content is created quickly and directly and exclusively. Um, you know, loads of video content. You know, like when I was watching Foreshore and Ailing doing the Guess Who game with Panini stickers on the heads, that was really funny. Have you seen that? No, I've not seen it. Yeah, so. it was really funny. It was official club content. Yeah. You know, and um, one of them had like Tyler Adams and the other one had, you know, Pulisic or somebody, you know, an international player. And um, it was really, really funny. And, it, and I think the, the club are doing that sort of level of humour as well as the serious stuff. They're, so, they're moving so fast and meeting, reaching so many more people so quickly. But I think the big differences for newspapers and magazines are people don't need them anymore. In the old days, people needed to pick up a newspaper to find the football result, you know, um, or they would pick up a newspaper to find out the weather the next day. And uh, or the TV listings and all of that is, you know, you just I pick up my phone to see what I'm going to wear today, depending on the weather. I don't get a newspaper and have a look at the list of you yeah, know, the, what, the but, gatekeepers have all changed, haven't they? That's the thing. There's not the gatekeepers don't exist in many ways now. On the social media side of it, if you think back to your some of the stuff you did loaded, how many times do you think you'd have been at the centre of some major controversy if it was if it was in the in the modern era if you know what I mean some of the sort of more risque stuff that well I think I I mean Loaded would have been brilliant on social media just because we did so much funny stuff and we did used to film some of the stories so like we spent five days in a cave off in a tiny island off Scotland off the west coast of Scotland trying to survive without any food (laughs) (laughs) it was like in the end we did get some food before we went on it which was a good idea because we couldn't catch anything you know we couldn't forage or catch anything we'd have starved and we had no way by the way we had no way of getting off none of our we a couple of us had orange nokia orange phones but there was no connection 
there was no phone on that. If we hadn't taken some food, I had a bottle of brandy stashed in the bag. If we hadn't taken food and stuff, we'd have, we wouldn't have been able to get off. The guys just came five <laughs> days later. But we filmed some of that and it was really, really funny. And so we were creating content that would now be just par for the course for, for any kind of magazine or content creators or whatever. But we didn't have anywhere to do, anything to do with it. And we had, we did have a website that loaded, you know, really early on in like late 94, early 95. And it was just flat. You know, the idea of putting images on it were like, remember we had a thermometer. You could, you could click on it and vote which woman you, you fancied. And it was just headshots. It was like an old BBC, not BBC, like a Blue Peter kind mm. of. Totalizer thing. Yeah. It yeah, was yeah. like that. It was, there was no, um, there, there, there were no images or anything. So I don't, I think, you know, Loaded was really, really funny magazine. That's one of the reasons people bought it. There wasn't much fun in the media back then. You know, Jonathan Ross's chat shows were usually quite good fun. Saint and Greavesy were funny. But there wasn't a sense of the media was a place which was fun. There was Viscomic. Um, you might have Saturday Night Live on, you know, on, on, or there might be a comedy on, you know. But there weren't the amount of comedi- comedy and comedians instantly visible as there are now. So it loaded stood out because it was, you know, we were self-deprecating. We did a lot of stupid stuff. And guys that hang around with each other with too much time on their hands, especially when the, there was, I mean, essentially Loaded was like, the you know, when the teacher goes out of the classroom, you know, there was, there was no boss. We were making so much money. They just left us to it. So if I said, let's do a Crisps World Cup and invented that concept, or let's actually go and see which washing powder does wash whiter and go and reenact the ad running around like muddy puddles and jumping in lakes and climbing trees in all white, Levi's and T-shirts. We could just do what we want. Because it was like the embodiment of those stupid conversations you have in the pub, isn't it? It's, it's your, exactly what it was, Dan. I mean, that, that's where most of the good ideas came from. We spent yeah. a lot of time in the pub, spent a lot of time drinking. And I mean, I, I used to go and do a business talk sometimes. I remember going to Australia and hosting their advertising awards and saying, you know, tell your bosses you need to spend more time in the pub. And now, like, a thousand people roaring <laughs> shit. I mean, it was, you know, and it was... That was a message that always went down well with us, with the staff. But it genuinely, you know, lo- loads of great ideas happen when pe- more more good ideas happen when people are relaxed, having a laugh, than on corporate away days where you're supposed to be, you know, let's reinvent the business. Yeah, know? people like having fun, don't they? There's a lot of it in the book, isn't there? There's, there's a lot of hedonism, there's which obviously strays into addiction. There's grief and loss. But one of the constants is Leeds United. How much of a constant has Leeds United been across all this stuff that you've done? Loads, you know, just certainly from loaded onwards, always try to get leads into whatever I'm doing. I mean, we just, um, like I said, I remember, I think I've got just, just didn't shoot Harry Kewell really early on to put to put him into GQ. The first six or seven issues of Loaded had a piece, a writer called Ben Webb went trained pre-season with Howard Wilkinson. We just signed David O'Leary as a player. He was the new signing for that summer, summer of 94, I guess it would be. Mm. Um, just loads. We interviewed Gary Speed. Just um, absolutely any opportunity to get it in. And what about you personally, as as a constant in in your life, not just in like in the magazine, but for you? Well, yeah, you know, apart from really the mid to late eighties when I just, you know, music just became totally my life. You know, attempting to get a job and doing my fanzine and travelling around. Growing up in Leeds, I mean, I'm fifty seven now, so I'm ancient. But um, you know, when I was a little boy, the best football team in Britain was the team that I supported and when I was really young I was writing a book for about three years when we I was born in London we moved my dad was working at, at Lion's Maid ice cream 
and we came back and he'd made some money. So we lived in Collingham for a couple, just, just about two or three years. And obviously, as then, as now, you know, I, I imagine some of the Leeds players still live in that area. They certainly live in places like East Keswick and Weatherby and, and so on, and Boston Spa. And Alan Clark lived opposite us. So his mum, his, his wife was very good friends with my mum. So I'd be in and out of their house as a little kid, you know, like a kind of four or five-year-old kid. I can remember seeing him unpacking his suitcase coming back from the 1970 World Cup. And I can remember him giving me those, remember the sock tags he used to have? Giving the mud splattered sock tags, which I, obviously I wish I had now. And um, putting on his his uh, his velvet England caps. I used to have them in a, like you've got your football supporters awards, <laughs> uh, you know, the fanzine awards over there. He had a kind of a glass corner cabinet like that with these, England caps in and um, his dog was called Pele and uh, which I knew more about Pele the dog than Pele the player <laughs> so then you know just growing up when I moved into Headingley you know after a couple of years living out there as I wrote in my football book above head height everybody was Peter Lorimer or Eddie Gray or Alan Clark or if we weren't that we were like the big you know World Cup stars in 1974 like Breitner and, or later Zico or you know Johan Cruyff Johan Naiskins but it was just, I imagine if, 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 if you grew up in, uh, I don't know, if you grew up in Birmingham in the same time, there wasn't, there probably wasn't the same amount of fervour for Birmingham City as, as or Aston Villa or West Brom as we, would, we had in Leeds. And um, because we were just great, you know, the Leeds players played for England. Leeds players, half the Scotland team were, the Scot- I mean, you've seen the picture there, John Varley photograph of all the internationals in the different shirts, apart from Jack Charlton who forgot to bring his shirt. You know, that's the only reason Jack's not in there. And it's a great, it's a great shirt. Johnny Giles in the in the, in the Irish shirt and 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 um you know Gary Sprake in in I don't know, is Sprake in I think Sprake might be in there with a with a with a Welsh shirt. There's definitely a Welsh player in there, mm-hmm. I think. But anyway, so that there and then just later, I mean, really it was a it was a little bit of it was about money. You know, I was kind of left Leeds in about nineteen eighty five. I went to live in Manchester because I've got a girlfriend there. And there was more to write about musically there. And then I moved to London and got a job with Sounds and then NME. And that, at that point, in the mid-80s, you know, it was just everything was about music for me. And I, can, I remember the last game I went to in Leeds, we played Oxford. We beat them, I think, 1-0. Tommy Wright scored. And the, the atmosphere in this Southstand was horrible. Just people hissing, you know, recreating the sound of gas and really horrible chants. It wasn't, that wasn't a good time, you know. And um but then, you know, being, but then by the time I left the NME, having, ta- having earned some, a bit of cash and um, having the time, you know, most weekends when Leeds were playing, I would be another part of the country or the world. I spent a lot of time in America interviewing bands. So that was just, it was good. My, my unemployment coincided with, with Leeds' <laughs> return to suddenly playing at, you know, I'd obviously been playing at places like Charlton or Millwall, but being able to like, you know, go and see and play more big teams was, was was fortunate. And I guess in the 90s as well, when you're in London and, and Leeds start to pick up again, you almost double down on it, don't you? Because you're, you're not in Leeds, you're in London. There's going to be fans of loads of other clubs. You kind of become a bit, your identity becomes wrapped up in it a bit more. Yeah, I mean, the main thing was just the money. You know, when I, you know, with, in, in the late 80s, living in London, it was expensive to travel back to Leeds. You know, I didn't earn much money on the NME. But then later, when I became the features editor in about, you know, 1989 and 90, I could start to have money to spend uh, to go on go to games, and uh, and also got to start to know people who had cars who would drive back. So we would. I remember we, uh, me and my mate used to come up. We had one guy who was an A and R man, 
he later signed that band, the Levelers. And uh, at the enemy, we call them the Grovelers. <laughs> so he was so keen to be in the magazine. But um, Paul, he had one CD, he had one CD, CD just one. It was just the same David Bowie CD every week, all the way. I'd go in, to be honest. But, did, you, um, did you make many away games? What in that in that period? Just when you started going back, yeah, yeah. I mean, because yeah, yeah. The, I, remember, I remember going to Oxford and people chucking bricks around. There was there used to be a horrible alleyway up the back of the Oxford ground. Um, remember being away at Everton, hearing Operation Goodison being announced, wondering what the one the one that that was, and obviously you know the the, the London games, but. What what I love is, and I still have this now. And when I come, my little, my youngest son is a Leeds fan. Is parking up at the top of the hill, and and getting to the wall and looking at the ground. That feels that's a, a very special feeling, you know. And then walking down the hill, uh, and, and I mean, even when I just come back and see my dad in Leeds, just seeing people in Leeds shirts is like a is a great thing. And you forget you better not go up to them and say, "Oh, I'm a Leeds fan too." But like, obviously, when Bielsa arrived. You started to see where I live in London. You started to see people in lead shirts and um, young young guys. I was chatting to one guy outside the gym near me. It was Eddie Gray's grandson or nephew? Maybe even no, it was Eddie's son. It's Eddie's son, I think, which was just a weird coincidence. You know, he had a, he had a blue lead shirt. And um, I mean, that's always great when you see somebody. I was in Thailand once, and you know, in one of those little uh, huts that lives on you know, on the beach, and the waiter came up. I mean, he was chatting and he said, do you like football? But this was before the internet or anything. I said, yeah, sport leads. And he just went into the, you know, the legends. He was, he really wanted to talk about it, you know. So I feel about that if I ever meet a, you know, a Leeds fan. There's that little cult thing as we've got the Leeds salute as well, haven't we? Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that we've had the, the Bielsa era and being back in the Premier League. So I feel like there was a whole generation of fans who not really had that because yeah. Leeds for people under 30 was quite bad in the, yeah, but you in say the, in that, the main the year where the, the first year in League One was brilliant I, I really loved it I mean we got 91 points that year Yeah, which means I would have I would be having rounds with like Man U fans in London or Liverpool fans or Arsenal or, or, or even better people who supported lesser teams in terms of their, their success right I go, how many points you got this year how many times you actually watched your team score and win because I've seen absolutely loads. I've seen like, you know, 66 <laughs> goals or something and they'd be really shocked. But because we had that 15 point, I went to, I mean, I went to all of those first five games where we got it back to mm. zero. And it was such a sense of we'd been wronged, even though we hadn't been wronged, you know, they just, impl- Bates had wronged us. Um, I think the first goal to win us the first points was the last minute against Tranmere. Yeah. Candle kind of like... Just it hit sort of his sh- Yeah, it did. It came in. The second arse goal I've seen for Leeds. <laughs> I saw Frank Str- Strandley score with his arse one time. Yeah. and um, Substantial arse at that as well. Yeah, but it was like, we only did, me and my mate just decided to go very last minute. I said, come on, let's go. And they're like, we drove over there from Leeds and we didn't have tickets, you know, we just picked them up on the, on the you know, got hold of somebody who had some. It's funny, isn't it, what you're saying there about seeing the stadium. I mean, are you the same with this? So, like... Football grounds are sacred anyway, aren't they? You get excited. There's that little frisson of something inside you whenever you see or you're inside a football ground. Like we've said it before, on holiday, you might go tour the local ground or whatever or go see a game there. But with Ellen Road, even though it's a complete shithole now and desperately needs updating, I always get excited when I see it. I always wave at it when I'm on the train. Yeah, no, you know? well, it's a, I mean, it's great when you go past the train. It's seeing it. I don't think, by the way, I don't think it is shithole. Oh, it is, but it's our shithole. No, but you know what? It's, you know, take a new ground like Coventry. 
just utter shit. Mm. The last time we played there, it was like playing in those big corrugated metal warehouses you see that Amazon and co yeah. have got on the side of the motorways. A lot of new grounds, I'd much rather have the atmosphere that we've got at Ellen Road than, than something be done to it that takes away that. The, the, the ground is, is, is steeped in the history. It's, you know, it's dripping with disappointment and frustration <laughs> and expectation and success. And those new grounds, they get cleansed of that. You know, I've been, I, I went to watch the under-23s play at Spurs and it was actually quite a telling night because there's about 100 Leeds fans, uh, 100 Spurs fans over, over the other end. That's what it's like if you get one of those big stadiums and it doesn't work out. Mm. You know, if, if West Ham, for instance, that's a new stadium. It's terrible to watch football in. It's like going to the old, with Dean Stadium, you know, the community running track in Brighton, you're so far away from the far end. So actually, I don't, I know they're like, the offering isn't very good in terms of the food and, 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 and so on, but the atmosphere at Ellen Road is more important. And that feeling when you end up, I mean, obviously, if they built something, if they knocked it down and built something that looked absolutely stunning, then you'd think, okay, that's great. And there was, but, I love that view when I get to the top and yeah. you look down and I've explained to my little boy, that's that's the way we go. We go there and we get down, you walk down, so you get that sense of anticipation and, anticipation and excitement. And, uh, you know, even on the way up with trains, you know, I'm that predictable that a bloke will sit down and get on at, Pe- at Peterborough and his nine-year-old son called Billy will sit down opposite mine. You know, it's kind of like, it, it's... It's part it, of the ritual. It is part of the ritual and and... That that is what's great about being a Leeds fan. That the, the the amount of passion and fervor for the club shown in many different ways is greater than many. It is greater than many clubs. You, you go and talk to fans of other clubs, and they kind of you don't have that a level of passion. And you you do when you cut through all the inter-team banter and the sniping and the you know the people hiding behind anonymous accounts on social media. You often get people saying Leeds fans, you know, the away the host team. Fans, Leeds were just amazing. The fans, we know that. And um, so that's special, you know. You wonder what would happen. I mean, obviously, you want more people in the ground. You want to be able to have, you know, uh, better food. You know, all of that fan offering, you want to be better. I went to see New York City once against Toronto about six, seven years ago. And it was amazing. They play in a baseball stadium. But you could buy merchandising in the ground, join the game. Which, by the way, the game was like... Perlo was playing and David Villa and um, Bradley was the American captain at the time he was playing for Toronto and it was um, it was when Vieira was a manager and it, and it, and it was like um, you know it, it was like a testimonial my mate John said here's a testimonial the whole year is Perlo's testimonial yeah but the actual there were tw- I counted them there were 26 food and drink points and the, from the queues you could just look back and look out onto it so that side of it making it a better experience you ask anyone whether you want good catering or good football, you're going to take good football and good catering and, or good football and good atmosphere. You'll take the, the second two every time. Yeah, it softens it, doesn't it? It softens the experience. It can make you too comfortable if you've got too much leg room. You've got too many nice facilities. You can get served immediately. There's something, there's something inherently baked into Leeds. Like it's the struggle, isn't it? 
A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. So what I like about Ellen Road is the amount of layers of paint you can see on stuff. Yeah. I kind of, I'd like that. Like they, when you go past a railing, you can see it's obviously had about 14 coats of gloss on it over like, the years. It's like a battleship. <laughs> it is. <laughs> or a prison. <laughs> prison it's, it's, door. It's both of those things is it Ellen is, Road. It actually. is. It's a, it's a battleship and a prison. Not so much a football ground <laughs> as a battleship and a prison. But it makes you feel something does that. It's, I, yeah. I mean, I like old houses and stuff as well for that, that you can see the sort of scars of it over the years and the bits that have been... Yeah, it's like the rings of a tree, isn't it? That have been redone yeah. and kind of made to work in a in a way. Yeah. But then, I mean, also it might be nice to have some soap in the toilets. <laughs> yeah, but it looks... It, but it's like the heritage of football. It's still a connection to what football was like. And, you know, my eldest son supports Arsenal and I've been to a couple of games for him. He only shout when they play Spurs. Yeah. One time I, he said, do you want to come? My mate's not coming as a spare ticket. I went there and it was... I counted it was 22 minutes before they had a chant mm. now I know you know let's not gloss it over occasionally Ellen Road's a little bit quiet you know and things are a bit nervous or whatever but certainly the Leeds fans away are phenomenal you know there's there's, there's nothing like it I, I found going to Man City a month or two back a really jarring experience it was like a theatre it was like being in the theatre there was that level of sit there and entertain me put on a show for me and they did have you seen Man City on the Champions League games they do like a laser show uh, they dim all the lights you know they do the disco lights and then they do a laser show where they put the names of the players who are playing. They like fire them off on the, on the pitch. It looks brilliant. They put pump out smoke machines beforehand. There's music going on. The PA guy's getting really excited. And I thought, this is a really good spectacle for the United States. And I took my son with me, and he's 11 now. And he, he's flirted with Spurs, funnily enough, when he was younger. But I've managed to reel yeah. him into Leeds what now. was it, Spurs-Man City game? No, no, it was, it was Man City's Champions League game. But previously, okay. he's kind of, he, was, he was just discovering his football identity yeah, yeah. based around playing as certain players on FIFA. Yeah. And then I just managed to reel him into Leeds. But... Took him to Man City because I thought, oh, we might get to see Haaland play or even just to see yep. what Man City are like without me being stressed about Leeds losing. And he said to me, he said, he said, that's really good, but I wouldn't want it at Leeds. And I thought, yes, 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 exactly that. Whether you give anything for to see a goal like, you know, Becchio charging in it in a volley from, you know, on the edge of the box rather than a laser show. Yeah. You know, you'd give... Uh, and, and we've noticed before, haven't we, because we're close to Ellen Road here when we were over in the other office and they had the new floodlights put in, and they were testing them. And the Leeds floodlights can do that thing, the big disco show, because they're all LEDs these days. They can flash on and off. Stadium can go out. Yeah. They won't do it. <laughs> They'd be stupid to do it. Just leave it as it is. Turn them on, turn them off. When it's finished, that's it. 
let us worry about all that side of stuff. Because I think if we even get aggy about the choice of music, don't we going like into the game after the game, playing like I predict a riot at the end of it? Some people love it and sing along. Some people say, "Don't put that on every time. Do something else." Or just I always let us wanted do it. to get in charge of the music for a couple of games and play songs that I think would lend to good chance. Like if the kids are united by Sham Sixty Nine, which again, <laughs> showing you, your age, if you're under <laughs> under forty five, you or under fifty, you probably won't know. But it just lends itself. It's got that song. Where the United. kids lead United. Yeah, United. Yeah, I mean, it would just be. It would make a great chant. Well, it's like a it's like a chant anyway. It is a chant. Song, I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's a football. Probably West Ham used it or something. But um, I think um, I, mean, I hated it when. I mean, there were so many things wrong under the Chilino era that we played all that shit American hairdressing metal. <laughs> you know, it was like, what, what is this? You know, so it was. Um, yeah, the whole thing. You know, the the, the atmosphere on road is is unbeatable. How did you stop doing Leeds these leads? Because we kind of got on the start of it. But what how I did sold, it, how did I it... sold my business, and um, that, that it became a part of. You know, it was the first corner of, of, of my own business after I left GQ, and um, I introduced somebody to work at Leeds to be the publisher called Neil House, and he was he was it was a guy that I knew had he'd been involved in uh, Toffs the, the old fashioned mm. football shirts in Leeds, and he's a Leeds fan and. Um, so he was doing the publishing and I said to Neil, look, by the way, I'm selling the mag. I'm selling my business, but I'm thinking of keeping leads. And he said, don't, because I know at the end of your contract, they're going to bring it back in house. They're going to do it themselves. So that was, I wasn't editing it anymore. Neil Jeffries was ed- editing it, who'd been on from the start. And he, even now, is, Neil still does the production on the programme. And um, so that that was it. That would have been in sort of like about 2005 or six, something like that. Got out of the good time anyway. Before the uh, before we had to do the the league one years and the bait you didn't do you have to do the bait years essentially. Can't remember we did the bait years. How, how do you think that would have worked? <laughs> do you know what we had a, a piece? I think I mentioned this in Animal House. We had a if you if you go back to I mean Ken Bates appointed Hoddle who brought Holly over and it was quite as a manager it was a good appointment. He was a player coach for Chelsea. People forget this, but Chelsea were awful for years. You know, and they were like they were like Charlton or somebody in terms of where the statue was. And um, when he appointed Hoddle, he bought he bought um, he bought Holly and Viali, and then they started building that hotel and all of that stuff. And we ran a business story about him in GQ. And Mrs. Bates sent me a letter. <laughs> she sent me a letter saying that was the nicest profile of Ken I've ever met. And basically, we just hadn't called him a twat. Yeah, you know, they'd not gone on about his personality. They were just looking at what how Chelsea were trying to do things beyond. Um, just having a football team, but um, yeah, no, I did, I did, I did meet Ken when he was. When I was getting divorced, hopefully my ex-wife won't read, won't listen to this. But I, I thought we were cutting. You know, I was having to divide up the money and stuff. So I thought, all right, I'll sponsor a game. <laughs> <laughs> Empty the bank account. <laughs> well, sponsor the game. Sponsor the game under that 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 forum that I had called One Mick Jones. So there was like twenty of the. It was, re- I mean, it was really expensive. There were twenty of the posters went along, and we were, and, and you got to meet the chairman as part of the sponsorship. He even got a meal. He went on the pitch. We were playing Cardiff, and we had the tour. Sticks was given us the tour with John McClelland, and uh, we were in the play in the Leeds dressing room. And there were all these. Who would have been? Maybe Blackwell was the manager then. There were all these messages on the board, and it, all the big one, massive letters just said Kumas, no free kicks around the edge of the box. It was, that was the biggest statement on there. 11 minutes in, Sean Gregan, I think, takes Kumas out and he scores from the free kick on the edge of the box. But we met Bates then and he was like, 
what business do you do, son? I said, we've got a message board. And he was, I could see he was trying to work. There's any way he can suck money out of them yeah. to get into the club. But he didn't have a clue what we were talking about. It was the thing he always attacked us on, wasn't it? It was what? It was the thing he always attacked us on. Like not declaring sales figures yeah. and um, how many do they sell, how much money do they make, all that sort of stuff. Which we, did, f- which we did then. Yeah. Uh, well, well, we, we, Sean Harvey, we actually gave all the information to and he, yeah. on the basis that he would give us an interview and he then didn't. Yes, yeah, so <laughs> we, we actually provided it in the end. We provided, we provided absolutely everything that, yeah, but that he Sean wanted Harvey to, for, He then. wanted to find out if there was a way that he could get money out of you because he would see you making, and the same as Cellino, making money out of the club. Yeah, that's, we got, that's what I would take that to be. And we got a solicitor's letter at one point, didn't we? Um, for, I think, some quotes or something that had gone into an interview or something in the mirror. Uh, I can't remember. Whatever, yeah. It was a letter from Carter Rook, but I just ended up writing back but to you, him saying... You know what? Whatever. This brings us up to what social media is now. When I see people saying, Radvidziani, an ought to get out of the club, they've got no concept of the history of the club. There was no water in the swimming pool for the players. They had to bring their own lunches and sit in a river. <laughs> You know, there was there was something like you you guys did it. You did a review of every single lone player we had <laughs> in the fancy. It was like something like 120 lone players between mm. nine, you know, 2005 and 2016 or something. Mm. It was like absolutely insane. There would be here's Brett Armerod who's playing at fun. Oh, we got Michael Ricketts this week. It was literally <laughs> like they were putting together some weeks. It was just like a bad fantasy team from the lower leagues, you know. Or here's Malcolm Christie, and it was like the club was so the club is so well run now compared to what it was like in those in those years, you know, and there were there were a few bright spots. But even when things were going good, when we were in League One, we were down there, we're not in a forest, Leicester and Southampton. And Southampton had um Pardew was manager. No, like, Adkins. No. Yeah, but there was the striker. They had the striker oh, who ended up playing for England and joining James Liverpool. James Beattie. No. No. Um, no. You know, the guy who he played he played for for, for Ricky Liverpool. Lambert. They had Ricky Lambert and they had another guy who'd been a, a, who'd, who'd come from Southend. So they had two good strikers who'd been a, a, a Spurs mm. youth. Leicester had Vardy and, and we had Beckford and, and Snodgrass. And, and they they kept those two strikers and they fired them up. He didn't want he didn't want to give mm. Tremaine a few more grand. Same with Becchio. He didn't want to give Becchio a few more grand a week. And so as a result, we stayed in that. You know, we stayed in the championship when he got back and he couldn't get us out because he was he didn't want to spend the money. How do you look talking about the club now? Then how do you see it? Because it, comparing to those days, obviously, it is a a massive difference. But how do you, I guess, hold the club to account then for some failings that we still have? Like because it's, I feel like you can't say forever. Well, at least it's not Bates. You at some point got to say. Well, that's fair comment. But give should, me, give me should, an example, well, and I'll give you an answer. Well, like, should the badge, we sign the badge? Well, yeah, disaster. Disaster. I was, was going to say sign a striker. <laughs> and a side of striker you know and a what? Back. Okay, so right. having run a business, I sold my business. Started it with a hundred and forty grand that I got from Leeds United, and I sold it for six and a half million. And it was sometimes it was worth more than that. Sometimes it was worth less. When you've got a, a wage bill of our wage bill was half a million quid a month with about seventy employees, and we had we had the office with, for doing Leeds 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 up here. We had the vis the office for vis. We had the office in London. When you're running a business with a lot of employees. And we were on the aim, which is the smaller stock mm. stock market. You've got all of these different factors, you know. And we spent twenty nine million pounds on Spain's centre forward. Now this year he's got nine goals out of thirteen games, and we all have, for the last few years have gone. This is the wrong striker, you know, or we've bought him and he's playing it in the wrong position or whatever. But if you look at, if you went out and bought a car for twenty nine twenty nine thousand pounds, for instance, or two million pounds, or whatever. If you went and bought a new house and it cost you 290 grand, 
And then your kids came home and said, get another, get another car, get another house. That's what a lot of fans are. They've spent £29 million on the striker. And just the fact that he's not been as good as, you know, some of the other strikers that have been bought in for other clubs, it doesn't change the fact that that money went out of the business. Now, I would say this year the mistake was buying uh, Christensen. We needed a left-back, clearly. We needed more competition and, and more consistency at left-back. We had Ailing, we had Drama, we had Shackleton, you know. Now, each of them is, is to be lots of people say, oh, well, you know, he's inexperienced or he's not proven himself yet or he's, he's getting on a bit. But the fact is we did have three people who'd played for the first team at right-back. We've got one who's consistently injured. So that, that would be an example mm-hmm. where my feeling is the club have, have given the new coach you know, his head and say, you know, I want this guy, he knows the way I play, he's consistent, he's good, but I, I, that, I think they spent the money in the wrong place. But you can't argue with the fact that if you look at, at the bottom line, 29 million or whatever we spent on Rodrigo was spent. And this year, he's got nine goals in 13 games. But doesn't all this go back to what we were saying before about our identities being wrapped up in, in this club? And I know, and you talk about kids as well, I, the kid in me just wants Leeds to be good all the time. And, and that's what, Legionite is to me. It's it's the childish part of me that indulges in all that. And I hate the idea of us failing. And my happiness is wrapped up in it in an unhealthy way. Um, but we're not failing. No, no, we're, we're playing not. In the, not. We're playing no. in the best league in the world. But what I was going to say was, there is a fear and an anxiety attached to Legionite going backwards. And because we're not cemented in the Premier League yet, that all this kind of shouting on social media about get out of the club and all that stuff. Yeah, I don't it's think, fear-based. You're yeah, people, right. people don't really, they don't mean it. What they're doing no, a is... Of, they're, Dan, they're, a lot of people do mean it. Sorry to interrupt, but a lot of people do mean it because they don't, they're not clocking. It's the same as saying to their boss or their, or their parents or their husband or their wife, go and buy another car. That's what you're saying. You wouldn't turn around to your dad or, or, or whoever's, the, you know, or your mum, whoever's is responsible for finances and say... I want another garden. This garden's not big enough. Get me another garden. And that's the yeah. tone of voice. Yeah. And, and actually, the, the reality of it is, is when Giroud, who's just having a great World Cup, he's just become France's all-time leading scorer. When he left Chelsea, I was on my Leeds WhatsApp group and, and on, on Twitter saying he'd be a great buy for us. Just He's not going to do Bielsa's Bamford-style running, or, but just in terms of having a striker in the box. He's a very creative player, and he's he's a very good, he's a good goal scorer. But the, but the fact that people don't think about it is they look at the the acquisition fee. But you, if you bring in a player like I would love Milner had come back, I'd have liked Milner to come back two years ago, or also when Calvin went. If Calvin we could have sold Calvin to Liverpool, Milner would have come back as great potential future coach, senior player, great example, a, a, an experienced player that was what we needed in the in the centre of midfield, but. The moment you bring in somebody like Giroud or Milner, they're probably on £200,000 a week, you know, and there's no way anyone at Leeds is on £200,000 a week and uh, unless we're still playing Robbie Fowler on the Ridgedales deal. Mm. And, and, and I think that is another factor. A great book, or, or, or I mean, you guys could do it in a magazine, a proper forensic explanation of the accounts of a football club, just spelling it out in quite simple terms that when you, sp- when you say you've spent... Twenty-nine million pounds or twenty-nine million euros on a player. You've probably also committed multiple millions to pay for his wages over the next four years of his contract. And when you then add that to the other twenty-two players in the first team squad who haven't come through the youth ranks, who are on 
competitive professional Premier League wages, the outgoing is enormous. And yeah. that's, you know, I can I can look at that. I've been, been around the club. You know, I remember very early on when I was first doing Leeds, 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 being in directors, they used to let me sit in the director's box until O'Leary got a bit annoyed with me shouting so much. But, um, or maybe George. But I remember sitting and we we played, I think it was Birmingham City in the, in the League Cup. And the corner came in in the last minute. We were drawing. And I think Jimmy grabbed, like, like the famous picture of Vinnie Jones and Gaza, I think Jimmy grabbed his defender by the nuts uh, and he kind of stepped back as the, as the defender fell off him and headed it in or maybe flicked it in and, and he got a winner. And the managing director of Leeds, Jeremy Fenn, turned to him and he said, <sighs> I said, what's up? That's brilliant. He goes, could have done with a replay money. <laughs> These people are looking at the bottom line, you know, and, and, and we're not as fans. We're looking at the starting eleven and and how that how that's performing, and that's all we think about. But it's, it's what I was saying before. It's it's irrational, isn't it? It's childish and irrational. Yes. And I think I think people generally, if you had a conversation with them and sat down with the accounts and went, we spent 150 million quid on wages. Everyone would understand we've committed all that money, and there isn't a bottomless uh, pot of money there to throw at Leeds United. But then you look around the wider football world. And Newcastle have got Saudi money, and you know the, the moral compromises that have had that their fans have, have made to say, well, we, we can buy who we want now. And you look, but at it's what... not just Leeds; all football fans do it. You look at Manchester United fans saying, "Oh, you know, complain about the Glazers. They've spent billions no, and no. billions. They've been... You can never say that it... there was never a situation where there was a player when Man United wanted them when the money wasn't made available to them. And 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 the same with Leeds. I'll read on Twitter somebody saying we've spent no money. It's like. We bought four players last summer. You know, we bought. If you go back to the, for instance, go back to the Wilkinson era, how would we buy two players to make the team a bit better? You know, and, and I think that actually, w- one thing that the club do, which is, is is really really good, is to bring two regular first team players who are absolutely first team players with Mesley and Struick to to pick them up a, at nineteen and make them professional Premier League players two years later, and then how. Greenwood, I didn't think Greenwood was going to make it, but Marsh plays him enough to say, look, and he's, he's put the performances in that say, okay, he's, he's better than I thought he was. Choffy, you know, probably. But yeah, but there's, there's no fun in that. There's no fun in a project, is there? There's fun in a shiny new toy. No, but, no, and but, that's what people like. But it's very, very rare for a team in the top division to be able to bring in two, three, four players, five players that are in around the first 15 to 20 players and playing regularly. But the reason... It's, it's really... it's it's. You go, go and look at any team. Now, I think I think what I was saying before though, I know it's not realistic, and I think people understand it's not realistic. But the gap between the top and the bottom now is so great in the Premier League. Yeah, it's a different and, world. And, and again, it's that same fueled by that same anxiety of people don't want to regress because we've been down there and we were down there for sixteen years. And I think all that sort of argument just comes from a place of anxiety and fear, as we were but, saying but, before. But it's also it's like if you watch an independent film, say like a Mike Lee film or something like that, or an independently produced film. It's like comparing the takings against a Marvel film because every week in the Premier League, 12 or 13, maybe 14 teams are playing against teams that are actually built to compete in a different league. So when we play Arsenal or we play Manchester United or Manchester City, Liverpool, Chelsea, whoever, we're playing teams that have been put together to play against Juventus, Barcelona, Real Madrid, Bayern Munich, Paris Saint-Germain. And, and it's a different thing, I think, particularly in the League Cup. Those, any team playing in Europe, should, the League Cup would be a better tournament if they were, if the European teams weren't in it. It would it would mean that you'd get the 
you'd get the odd championship team would win the trophy unexpectedly. You know, teams that that would probably love to go, you know, teams like ours who would love to go to Wembley and win a trophy again will be in with a chance. There's nothing more boring than getting to the end of the season and Man City winning the, the Caribou Cup. I think that's why their fans are bored. Like when I was going back to being in the stadium. Really? They're so used to winning. Yeah, they just sit there and wait to be entertained by the best players in the world. And to me, it's a bit like I've said before, it's like cheating on championship manager or football manager, giving yourself all the money and just buying everybody you want. Eventually you get bored of it because there's, there's no there's no struggle involved. There's no inherent battle to be better, is there? And I think that's what leads. We're just, we're just, we've fallen occasionally the wrong side of the line in terms of being anxious about going backwards and dropping out of it because it was fucking horrible, wasn't but, it, for no, 16 but, years? No, but it wasn't horrible for a lot of them. No, that's true. It was horrible for a lot of them. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think. No, the, sorry, I've said that wrong. You're yeah, right. It's, it's it was horrible for all of them. It's fun it when you're winning. It wasn't horrible for some of them. Yeah, it was good. Yeah, but that sense of there was that great piece that you carried about um, be careful what you wish for. It was brilliant that piece. I re, I republished it somewhere about the guy saying, "What do, do we really want to go to the Premier League when we can take seven to Fulham or Blackburn away on a midweek night, but we're actually only going to get eighteen hundred tickets to go to Brighton." Or, you know, we're going to be spending like X amount of money to go to the games or the games are going to be moved all the time. There was, there was a good, do you remember that piece? It was yeah, in the square ball. So. It was a great piece. I don't know who wrote it exactly, but it, I, fo- it, I fucking hate the Premier League as it well. Was, <laughs> it was a brilliant piece because he actually made really good points. And, you know, the, the, way, the, the way the club have now changing the ticketing and, and, and the, the way that people used to be able to share season tickets and so on very easily, just standing over the, you know, the, the little booklet or whatever, the book of tickets, that's made it even more difficult for some. It's made it easier for some, but more, but more difficult for others. Um, all of those things, you could say, do you want to go up and down like Sunderland did? Or do you want to go up and down like Norwich do? Or West Brom do? Or West Ham did for a long time? Do you want to be one of those teams so you have two bad years and one really good year? Or maybe two really good years with a really bad year in the middle? Or do you want to sit there at 13th? But the, the reality of it is now in football that... You've seen how big those stadiums are compared to us, and you've seen how high those wage bills are, and you've seen the proportionate wage bills. It's the other thing is when they do that chart and people moan about the wage bill. I was there. I was at the club when Ridsdale stood up at the players' dinner at the end of the year, and he said, "We spent all this money on Real Ferdinand, and we're going to keep spending." It was madness. <laughs> it was madness, and <laughs> partly it was madness because we didn't need the players. You go back to that era; we had six strikers. <laughs> okay, Michael Bridges was inter- was injured, but we had Kewell, Paducah, Smith, Fowler, Keane. I mean, you could have spread that out, you know, two of them a year. The, mm. the thing is, you, as, as Michael said, though, you can't always hold up the spectre of Ridsdale to excuse shortcomings. Reasonable, you know, criticism. No, but give me some more. Give me some more because it's. Well, well I was gonna, I was gonna try and pitch it in another way. What do you think that this current ownership could do better? Um, I think the communication could be better. I think when he started, there was lots of really great communication, but there, were, there is, as, as you've seen, people who, who get used to communicating a lot. It's great when the times are good, but when things are bad, it, people are very, very quick to respond to it. So I think sometimes, you know, this week, I don't want to see the coach grinning and smiling, talking about a player we didn't get, Cody Gappo. I'm not interested. I'd rather hear him talking as an American coach who knows Tyler Adams. I'd rather hear him talking about what a good World Cup Tyler Adams has had. Or maybe talking about, you know, you, you know how he's spoken to the Danish right back and how he feels, and you know, and and looking, you know, I, I don't want to hear about things we've missed. What sort of idiot sits around talking about things that have gone wrong, you know. Probably, I mean, I've probably done that at times, but so I think communication 
could be better. I think um, they could have managed Bielsa better, possibly. That that we would. It seems strange to have had somebody that was so successful to to almost get us promoted, then get us promoted without any major expenditure. Really, those two years to then finish ninth and then decide he's going. That I think their relationship. It might have been, people have told me it was impossible, but if they could have had a, I was a difficult employee for various people, but they managed to get the best out of me to make a, a lot of money for them. It, it, I think the, the progress that we made under Bielsa, if, if they could have managed him in a way that allowed it to continue to grow. I mean, I was, I was honestly thinking, well, have a, after nine, I thought we'll maybe we'll have another couple of good years, and maybe he'll tell Pochettino to take the job, or if we bought a couple of good players that we needed. Maybe we'll get to seven or six or, you know, that kind of like West Ham under, you know, last year or where Leicester were for a little bit. So you're, you're wanting the players now? You're wanting a couple of extra players? <laughs> no, I, I think it's what you spend it on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think we didn't need to buy Dan James. You know, Somerville had played a couple of games as sub and he'd still looked a bit, a little bit lightweight, but he was doing great in the under 23s. And, and we had like, at that point, we, I mean, I think Alioski from a personality way was, was, was a loss, but. When we played Arsenal in the Cup a few years ago, I had friends going, who's that mental left-back who was bombing on? He was a big threat. You know, sometimes one of the benefits of not living in the city is you spend you spend a lot of time talking to people who support rival clubs. And a lot of people admired Alioski. Okay, maybe they only saw him doing good things rather than, you know, scuttling back and, and, and not being in the right position to from a defensive point of view. But we didn't need Dan James. That that for me. But And then that comes back to the relationship of... Was that Bielsa pushing for it? Was it Victor's interest in having a lot of wingers? Was that where was that? Because we don't see the ins and outs of it. But you spend that twenty-five million on a decent striker, or maybe you spend fifteen million of that, or you commit ten million of that to somebody on a free for a couple of years, and you invest in a decent left back. It's about where they spend money, and also, you know, you say what could the club do better? They could, they could, they could sell players better. You know, the, not having an auction for Pontus, who just got to the quarterfinals of the World Cup, selling him for like four and a half million pounds. They, they would tell you there weren't many takers for him. I know, but there's, it's how you, it's how you create a, a sale. You know, got an estate agents, estate agents or car dealers selling cars that there's probably not a great demand for all the time. You know, there's you you create a you, you go to different agents and you go to different clubs and you say a fantastic player and. Or you incentivize different people to to do the deal. You create a market. Mm. I mean, that's just part of business. And, and and then you know, subsequent to that, there's not yet. There've been players put on longer term contracts who are getting older. Who, who, they're not. That was their, their rewards. You know, so you could you feel other older players at the club who could have been sold maybe you know to to aspiring champion you know championships at clubs or whatever. So I think I think they could you know I think. The two players that went last year, you know, I, I think the general expectation was it would be more money. But you know, people who know about football business have said to me that just isn't there wasn't there wasn't examples of defensive midfielders going for much more than 45, 50 million. But you know, if Harry Maguire can go for eighty million to Manchester United, surely Calvin Phillips. I mean, they're, they're talking about Rice, you know, being at ninety million or hundred million. You know, Calvin's got things to his game that Rice doesn't have. The, the, uh, you know, the speed of pass, the long pass, the, the, seeing the through ball, you know, and it's, so I think that those, I don't know whether the Rafina deal was done before the season ended and there was a fear of, of, a, of a relegation or whatever, but, you know, we've, we've got three assets there or full international players that I've mentioned 
that, that could, I think could have been sold for more money. And, um, you know, I don't know what the... We're good at spotting players, but maybe not, that you know, making other people think that our players are worth more than, than we get for them. Final thoughts then. World Cup, I guess Calvin leads us on to that. We are recording before England play France. Not sure when this comes out yet, but um, what have you made of it as a tournament? Have you enjoyed it much? Have you seen much of it? I didn't like the way it was awarded. I remember watching that draw, I think it was in 2010, and just thinking, well, they've given it to Russia. And, you know, I mean, Russia really, Putin didn't even bother going. I think we sent the next king, but one. You know, <laughs> next king, like, but one. I think Cameron and, and Prince William went, you know, there was like a real sense of expectation about that. And Beckham was in the room as well, and he's now shilling for Qatar, isn't he? Yeah, but so I think that, that, you know, people will do anything for money, you know. it's um, and I, So I didn't like that. And then there's all the, the, the people that have, that have died in building those things. I, I would have preferred the World Cup to be in a football nation. And there are many nations, you know, Central West Africa, you know, Ghana, Nigeria, uh, Ivory Coast. They can all think of great players from those. That's one area where there would have been a legacy, where there's a huge football. Or Northern Africa. When you look at Morocco or uh, Algeria, look at Egypt, they're all big footballing cultures. Or Scandinavia, Australasia, you know, there's, there's, there's loads of, the, the Balkans, there's loads of places in the world where which have got genuine football communities and football fans and great football players and football clubs who, who would have would benefit. They're going to take these stadia apart. But to going on to the football, I think one of the things that's good, um, Gareth Southgate, we don't know whether we'll win or not. I mean, it's like a big... Premier League fixture, isn't it? You know, half the players will play each other week in, week out. But he's made it a lot easier to watch England. You know, if you think back to the, the to the um, Capello and Roy Hodgson era, the disappointments and that sense of like it was so frustrating. It was a grind, them. wasn't it? It, it was, was a just, grind. It was it was awkward. You know, the, and the players looked like they enjoyed playing. And I think because he was, you know, unexpectedly appointed because he'd done a good job with the under twenty ones. You know that. Um, Southgate knows that bringing young players in, it's easier for him to, to to shape them and guide them to what he wants to do, which I think is something that you know Bielsa like doing as well. Um, so it's enjoyable watching it. It's not just enjoyable watching us win. It's enjoyable like not being stressed out that we're losing to like you know Iraq or Iran or America or you know you know a team that you would hope that you were going to just I mean, we're, we're dispatching teams now in a way that you've always felt that the quality of players we've had, especially if you go back to the you know, what they refer to as the golden era or whatever, or, or before that, you know, in the 90s, you know, 96, you know, we're so close to, to winning something there in you know, 98. Um, so that's, that's easy. It's, it's good. To, I like it when you see teams that do better than people anticipate. You know, it's a pity that, that, that Japan haven't gone through um, a team. You know, you've seen some teams, you think they're good players. You know, Canada did that first game. The, was it Belgium? They absolutely mm. battered. Uh, and there was, there was a few teams earlier on Ecuador, I watched the game. They, you know, these teams aren't far off. And when you look at the United States, you know, most of their players play at big clubs now. You know, and, and you would go, oh, well, Leeds, people might go out, you say that to some people who don't support Leeds, you go, Leeds, well, you know, we're in the Premier League, we're in the best league in the world. And, um, but, you know, those, so, so these countries' top players are now playing against better, better other players in the European leagues. So it's been, it's been a good, it's going to be a good football tournament. It'd be nice to see England lift something, wouldn't it, just for once? Well, I mean, I just, I'd have started with a different lineup in the Euros. I mean, that was so close to, especially when we went one nil up. You know, yeah, you yeah. think we're close here, and um, but it's what you've said about that—the amount of frustration that goes on around football and, uh, and the dreams and the 
you're losing your sense of sensibility. You know, but I'll get fucking pelters on this for like defending the fact that the club spent twenty nine million pounds on a centre forward. He was at that point was an international centre forward. You know, because it's the wrong international centre forward. <laughs> it's like you know, it's like your dad brings a Range Rover home and you have a go at him because it's the wrong colour. <laughs> you know, I mean this 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 year that yeah, you know, it's it's been a revelation seeing him nicking goals left, right, and centre and and getting them and and. I think we'd obviously need more players in that position. I, I think you've got to look at the Bamford issue. You've got to look at the Furpo issue because, you know, and, and, and then you've got to hope that maybe Forshaw has a, a run of fitness because, you know, I think if Forshaw had been on the bench, we wouldn't have dropped those points against Spurs or would at least come away with one thing. So there's definitely areas in the pitch. It, it, there's areas of the squad that either the, you know, the people who will replace those players are a bit like Perkins up front could be a good replacement or um, Jarby, Giarby, how mm. you say his name. You know, you kind of, they're a little bit off. So then they're in that position of, do they buy, you know, we went and bought Danny Ings. Would we be happy with that if, if it meant Perkins never got a game? It's like the Alan Thompson, Harry Kuehl thing. So, and Somerville is is an example that there's somebody there in the under 23s who didn't cost 25 million for Manchester United. The only player that they've made a profit on in years and years and years, and we didn't. Need, I know. I know. He gives a great. He gives great fight. You know, he's got a great league style attitude, Daniel James. But Somerville has done more this year than James did last year. We, we might still make a profit on Dan James. You never know. You never. Know. <laughs> you don't ever know. I, I, for one, think that that probably won't happen. Well, we, we can ch- set it as a challenge, can't we? Improve. Play attitude, though. You know, I'm not not at him. Before I get the, the yeah. tweets about that. Yeah. Not, not. I mean, he has got a brilliant scrapping attitude, but he's, he's um, that, that, I think the club could have spent that money elsewhere. But again, it's a conversation we'll have many, many times between now and. That's well, the beauty forever. of this. Yeah, and the same with the magazine and, and, and online. It's the conversation doesn't stop. No. I, can, I can remember when football stopped in the summer, and you'd be. I mean, everybody'd be phoning in to like club call, or you'd be desperately in a holiday looking at the <laughs> newspaper, desperate desperately trying to find a little bit of information and now it just doesn't stop and I'm sure you know from your website you know and, and or maybe your, your social media interactions when there's no football they go up because <laughs> everybody wants to everybody's looking for that that rumour something, something to fill the void isn't it something to fill the void well the book let's let's finish on the book and say yes, that, fill, will, that will fill the void there's masses of Leeds United stuff in there yeah Animal House by you James Brown on sale now from all good bookshops, I think you've got to say, haven't you? And some not so good ones as well. Just get it on Amazon or if you want a signed and dedicated copy, get it to me. You get it from Amazon, you don't have to go anywhere, you know? <laughs> What's that? Or, What's or, or go to an independent bookshop. Absolutely. Because they need, they need your money and, and they often carry books. That and they often up. pay tax as well, which is great. Yeah, well, that's true, you know. <laughs> James, thanks for coming in. Appreciate it. Thanks that. for having me, guys. It's great. And, uh, you know, I get the, get the mag every month and, and open it and enjoy it. So, The Square Ball Podcast. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.